In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. What's on the screen, the, the opening slide, is uh, comes from different things we're told in Scripture. Not everything, but different things we're told to do concerning our enemies. And it's not what a lot of people in the world grow up being taught about enemies. But you guys are different. If you're... A Christian, and you're in here this morning, you're listening to this online or whatever. If, if you're a Christian, you're different. You're not supposed to do it like everybody else does it. You, you have different rules. You've, you've got, you were made differently when the Holy Spirit came and, and took up residence in your soul. Now, we've been looking at, at this verse. We've been saying it. Um, every Sunday in, in Easter so far, even before that, I think, uh, as a reminder, we do this as we're headed into the offertory. Let's read it together. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are different you're not like everybody. And because you're different, you should show it. You should do it differently. Now, one of the ways that Christians are supposed to do things differently is in how we treat our enemies. People with whom we disagree. We, we treat them differently than, than a lot of people will treat them. People who are different from us. People who mistreat us. People who sit on the other side of the stadium. People who sit on the other side of the political aisle. People who even want to kill you. We're called to treat differently than the world may treat them. Now Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter Peter wrote a letter to Christians. We've been reading through it, uh, you know, about ten verses at a time for the past few weeks. And he, in it, explained some things about what we're to do with those enemies. How we're supposed to treat them. So let's look at what Peter said. You remember who Peter was, right? One of Jesus' best friends. Spent three years with him and ended up being somebody that uh, had a lot of responsibility on the planet once Jesus left, right? All right, so Peter, he was a big wig at the time. Let's listen to, to the kinds of things that he says. Our reading started 1 Peter 3, 8 this morning. It said, finally, all of you should be of one mind. In other words, let's all get on the same page. Let's come together on something. Uh, let's agree on the house rules. You have house rules growing up? The rules in your house, this is the way we do it in our house. Do you all have that? Yeah? Okay. So these are house rules that Peter's talking about. It says, sympathize with each other and love each other as brothers and sisters. 
Now, I don't know about you. I, I was an only child growing up. So when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's sweet, man. That's, that sounds like something really good. And, and you who are laughing, I bet you have brothers and sisters, right? So I know that Peter had a brother. Andrew was his brother. I, and I'm just going to assume that Peter was kind of looking at him more like me than, you know, whatever you might have been thinking of there. So, but treat each other and love each other as brothers and sisters. And this is what he means when he says that. And I'm sure this characterizes how you and your brother and sister and all that get along. All right. But for the rest of us, for us only children, this is what he says. Be tenderhearted. Right? I mean, that's, that's y'all, isn't it? Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Because that's what brothers and sisters do, isn't it? All right. I'm, I, I won't belabor that one. I won't belabor that one. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I have three daughters. I'm not saying anything. Be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Well, they took my toy. Yeah, okay. Two wrongs don't make a right. You ever heard that one? Okay. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a... A blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Wow. That's different, isn't it? That's not what what a lot of folks get taught nowadays, is it? But you, you're different. Take the higher road. Don't stoop to their level. In fact, treat them the way you wish that they had treated you. Right? It's hard This, if you really try and do this, this is hard. This is not easy for anybody. Okay? This is difficult. This is not how how, uh, our, our human nature, this is not how we want to work. This isn't fair. All right? It's not. It's, it's, uh, it, it's difficult, because, but you have to make a choice, and that choice is going to limit what you can do. And the only reason that I think that Peter can say with authority to make that choice is because he's counting on the fact that you're different. You are different because the, the living God is alive in you. That you have been born again. That you are not like you used to be. That the old has gone and the new has come. And you're a new creation. And this, this, the, you have habits and you have hurts and hang-ups and tendencies and, and, and all that. But that's just the crust on the outside. The real you is really different. You've been formed in the image of Christ and you're different. And you have to let that come out through the crust of the old you on the outside, but you really are different. And you may have to make some choices and make some hard choices and make some choices that don't seem good and choices that don't seem fair and choices that it looks like they're going to get away with it. Choices. But that's, the, that's what you're called to do. This is what God has called you to do. You'll be blessed for doing it. But this is what God has called you to do. And if you will wrestle with that, 
it can work its way into your life and change some things. He goes on. The scriptures say if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, do you all want to do that? Do you want to enjoy life and see many happy days? Well, he says, Scripture says then, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Keep your tongue from saying those things that tear down instead of build up. Keep your tongue from, hey, the just between you and me, let me tell you what I really think about them. And this is why they deserve it and more. Keep your tongue from saying those things. Keep your tongue from telling lies. Don't, well, they got away with that one, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, I don't want to get away with everything. So I won't speak up when they've been accused of this. I, I don't think they did it, but I'm not going to speak up. Don't do that. If you want to enjoy life, if you want to see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. Look for peace. What's the thing that I can do that's going to help bring peace in this situation? Not that's going to give them their way. Not that's going to let evil run its course. That's not what we're asking here. But what can I do to bring the kind of peace that's whole and healthy and worth seeking after? Search for that and work to maintain it. We are not talking here about letting bad guys get away with it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is whole, what is healthy, and you will not find what is whole and healthy by getting back at them and getting revenge and telling lies and, and, and talking about them and all that. You won't find that. If you're going to find the peace that's worth having, you can't do that stuff. So, again, do you hear me? We're not about letting the, the evil get away with it and have its day. We're looking for what's right. We're looking for what's Shalom. It's good and whole and healthy for every part. Okay? And search for that stuff and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. In other words, uh, what, what he's reminding Christians of is if you're doing the right stuff, keep in mind, not only does God know... But God is taking care of. God is cognizant of where you are. God is ordering your life. God will bring blessing to you unlooked for. His ears are open to their prayers. Now, what does that imply that if you're not doing right? What does it imply about prayers? Yeah, and, it, and I don't think it's not that it, it, he's not aware that you're praying. But is he going to be answering your prayers like you want him to? No. No. Uh, anybody who's a parent knows how that works. The Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So, Christians, don't do it. 
Don't do it. This, though, brings up another bit of a problem. Those who do evil, what about them? Because it's one thing if somebody's playing with my toy, but it's another thing if somebody is, is killing folks that I care about. It's another thing if somebody is, um, is suing me and I don't deserve it. It's, an, it's, it's another thing. And those, those who are doing evil, what about them? What about them? All right. So I'm going to talk about a specific situation. But I'm just going to trust because I know y'all are above average and, and y'all are bright that you can apply this to whatever situation you're in. All right. Um, for the past few years, we have invited this congregation to join thousands of other congregations around the world to pray for the Muslim people during Ramadan. Ramadan is starting this Friday evening. You're going to have this invitation again. There are already booklets to help you know how to pray for for Muslim people around the world. Ramadan is the time of year that they are fasting and praying and seeking God. Muslim people put a, a whole lot of emphasis on dreams and visions. They're looking for them. They're expecting them. And in the last night of Ramadan is like the biggest time that they know that God might speak to them. And, and so we're, we, we're going to invite you to pray for the Muslim people. And some of you are already uncomfortable about that. Because you don't like them. You don't like them and you don't want to pray for them. Okay, I get it. But those prayers make a difference. There are more Muslims receiving the good news about Jesus now than ever in history. There are more receiving Jesus now than ever in history. This is unprecedented what's going on around the world right now. And it's really unknown exactly how many are, 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 are receiving them. It's really unknown. It's hard to judge because it is so dangerous for Muslims to accept Christ and to live it out because they're they're killed, they're persecuted, they're you know it's it's a dangerous thing, and uh, so we really don't know how many, but we're guessing somewhere between six and sixteen million right now are really following Jesus. They haven't just prayed a prayer to to be nice to you, you know, because you ask them to pray a prayer and they pray. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about they have come into the kingdom. And they are following after Jesus as Lord and Messiah. The real deal. Many of those people come to faith through visions and dreams. It is unprecedented what is going on in the Muslim community around the world. But the stories that we're hearing, the testimonies that are coming, are saying that this is different than anything that's ever happened before. And yet, there are still Christians who want nothing to do with praying for Muslims. And on one level, I get it. I understand it. Because, you know, since 9-11, we have really become increasingly aware of the dangers of Islam. And that's real. Uh, in recent years, the United States even, which seemed protected for so long, has seen the terroristic murders done in the name of the Islamic State. We don't like it. And we're scared of it. And I get it. I understand. 
We are constantly reminded on some of our media channels that Islam is dangerous and we need to call it what it is. And that causes people on other media channels to pull out their hair and say, it's wrong to hate them. Hate in quotation marks. Which causes the first group to pull out their hair and say, yeah, you know, and, and we go round and round about it. And the stress level goes up. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you where I stand. I believe that Islam is absolutely dangerous. It is perhaps the most dangerous ideology on the planet to Christianity and to Christians and to Jews and to any non-Islamic form of government, including our own constitution that is on the planet today. Islam is a comprehensive, all-inclusive worldview. It includes a system of law, a system of government, and a religion that is not compatible with the God of the Bible or the good news of Jesus. However, and I want you to hear this, Muslims are people for whom God has sent his son out of his love for them. And they are people to whom we are the ambassadors to share the good news of Jesus the Messiah, that they may come to know him. Islam is dangerous, but Muslims are people, and do not confuse the two. We can shine light on the dangers of Islam, but even more, we must shine light to the people who are caught in it. Still, I get it. There are some who count Muslims as our enemy, even count Muslims as as God's enemy. And some Muslims have declared themselves to be such. Now, the scriptures speak to this. This morning in Acts 17, we read about Paul going into the city of Athens. You remember that the passage that we just read? And what did, what did he find in Athens? Who were they worshiping? Many gods, including, they were even worshiping gods they didn't know. They just didn't want to offend any gods, right? Now, keep something in mind. When Paul is in Athens... Paul is in a place that that is part of the Roman Empire. This is the same empire that's occupying his homeland. Rome has taken over Israel. It is a police state, and Rome's will is being forced on the Jewish people. At bayonet point, at spear point, at sword point, they have taken over. They are torturing his fellow citizens, and they are killing his friends and neighbors. And how does Paul respond? Paul gives a thoughtful presentation of the character of God and his goodness toward all people groups. Paul tells these people in Athens, he's talking about God. He himself gives life, it says in 17.25, Acts 17.25. He himself gives life and breath to everything, even my enemies. 
He satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations. That means all the people groups. It doesn't just mean uh, what we think of as a nation, you know, and a boundary. And they're a different color on the map when you look at the map. He's talking about every different people group. God had something to do with that. He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations, all of these people groups, all of these people. God's purpose is that all of these people seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. He wants all people to seek for him and find him. That is God's purpose. Can I have an amen? This includes even Paul's enemies. And this includes even the enemies of God. He wrote to the Colossians. This is, can you believe that 2,000 years ago, Paul writes a letter to a group of people living in a Roman town, and we still have copies of it? It's in your Bible. It's amazing. Go read it. So this is the, uh, from the letter that he wrote to the Colossians. When we talk about who are God's enemies, the bottom line is you were. You were once, Paul writes, far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's not how we like to think of ourselves. But what Paul is saying is, listen. You haven't always lived for Christ. Don't act like you have. And if you're living for anything else that puts you at odds with God, you've been his enemy. You want to talk about the enemies of God and how they don't deserve to hear about Jesus? That was you. If being God's enemy is grounds for not sharing God's love with someone, well... Don't you wish nobody had ever shared God's love with you then? No, of course we're glad God has shared his love with even us. Even us who were his enemies. We were opposed to him. And God loved us so much that he made sure that we heard. Part of today's gospel reading from John 15 was Jesus saying that when we obey him... We remain in his love and we find joy. Here is something else that Jesus said for us to be obedient to. This comes out of Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that, right? Isn't that how a lot of us grew up? But I say, this is Jesus saying it, this is the Son of God This is the one who predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection. I'm going to go with what he says, if he could do that. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But Jesus, that's hard. Yeah, says Jesus, it is. It's hard. And it eventually costs Jesus Everything. 
And yet even on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Verse 45, in that way, if you'll love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. Think about that. Think about how God treats even evil people. Think about how God treated you when you didn't know him. He still let the sun shine on you. And, it says, he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Now, we're talking about what's in large part a desert region of the world. Rain is a good thing. Rain is a blessing. Rain was a sign of God's love. And God sent rain even on the unjust and the evil. Look at that. Look at how God treats them. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? That's easy. Even corrupt tax collectors do that. Oh my goodness, tax collectors can even do that? Yes, even tax collectors. Can you believe it? If you're kind only to your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you, you're different. You're not like everybody else. You're special. You are to be perfect, and that word means you're to be mature. You're to be complete. You've got to grow up, even as your Father in heaven is complete and whole and mature. You need to grow up if you want to hate your enemies. Now, I want to invite Dennis Kellerman to come up here because Dennis has uh, something to, to share. And, and so would you all give him your attention for the next couple of minutes? Come on, Dennis. Oh, this is such an interesting sermon. Um, and I really appreciate Brooke and uh, his presentation. He is so good. Um, I wanted to share a testimony um, about how God answers prayer and the way prayer impacts people all around the world. In uh, 1996, Mary Lou and I got involved with this group called Voice of the Martyrs. And it's an organization that supports the persecuted church around the world. All Souls, in that period of time, sponsored the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. And we handed out prayer cards like those that the con- like, uh, like the ones, I don't know, yeah, there it is right there, like those, so the congregation could pray for persecuted Christians. Now, this particular person here was originally a Muslim, okay, and he became a believer, and he was eventually uh, martyred for his faith, okay, or his brother was. This guy in the picture, though, I got a story about that I want to tell you about. Uh, I took these two prayer cards home to pray for these people, for these Sudanese Christians, and I kept the, the cards in my Bible and pray for them regularly. Uh, in 1998, we had a lot of Sudanese refugees that, became, that started coming to the church. Esbon back there is one of the refugees that we helped out uh, with 
English languages and getting them places to stay and providing furniture and all kinds of things. I know like Dennis Cordy was a big part of that. Uh, one evening, Mary Lou and I were at a Sudanese Christian's home. Their name was the Amakis. Abdel, Oshalom, and their children, and we were teaching them English, okay? I showed them these cards, okay, and they began to cry. And they started talking in Arabic, and we didn't understand what was going on, okay? So there was another Muslim convert in the apartment complex that we went and got because he could speak Arabic and English, and we asked him what was going on, okay? And he was a convert to Christianity. He became a Christian in Jerusalem, and he was converted by a Chinese Christian, okay? So they wanted to know where I got this card from because one of the guys in this picture was the woman's brother, okay? Now, he said that God is powerful and active around the whole earth. Okay, so as Brooke talked about, Ramadan is coming up. It's the month of fasting for the Muslims. There will be one million Christians in this country praying for Muslims. Okay, and the prayer is that God would break the satanic stronghold of Islam because it is a satanic stronghold and that he would set the captives free. Okay. So what we're asking you to do is just take some booklets. There's a booklet like this in the back that helps you pray through that. And there's a book for children if you want to let your children pray for these, for these people. Okay? And I would ask, I, w- I would like to say this prayer. Okay? So let's pray. Lord, may thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. What are the chances of having a picture of a man from around the other side of the world sitting down with, with somebody who recognizes them in that picture and you've been praying for them? How about that? That's God. That's God. Um, there are specific strategies given in this book on how to pray. But in general, how do you pray for your enemies? Pray for their conversion. Some of us don't want them to be converted because we don't like them. Aren't you glad God didn't look at you the same way? It's time to grow up. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. Pray for their conversion. Pray that the evil they do may be restrained. Evil does not have free reign on this planet. And God gives a number of helps to restrain evil. They include conscience and family and the church and the government who can use just force. And the hand of God restrains evil. Pray that evil will be restrained. In praying for Muslims and reaching out 
to them, we are not placing our lives in the hands of evil men to do what they want. Pray that evil will be restrained. Number three, pray that they will receive divine justice. Acts 17.30, we read this. God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice. But keep in mind, justice may not look like punishment. Romans 3.26 says in part, He himself, God himself, is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Coming to Jesus and being declared right in his sight is part of the justice of God. And don't you dare look down on it. Even for those folks that you don't like. God is the only one further allowed to take revenge. Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. That is not your job. So you can pray for their conversion. Pray the evil they do may be restrained. Pray they will receive divine justice. Those are the scripture references if you want them. They'll be posted online in a day or so. But you're different. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are not like everybody out there. So do things differently, even when it comes to your enemies. Amen.